Amen. Please be seated. I mean, you can stand if you want to. No one's going to make you sit down. Well, so this year, last year at least, is now over. And um, I would love to go back and listen to all of the 2020 sermons. I don't know how many... uh, You'll see God 2020 and 2020 or whatever things I heard. We had no idea what was coming. Um, people can say they had an idea what was coming, and maybe somebody did, but most of us had no concept that 2020 would be as uh, difficult as the year as it was. It was hard. And I'll be honest with you, I have zero guarantees that 2021 will be any better. It could be monumentally worse than 2021. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is broken by sin, that needs a redeemer. Christ has come. He has died for the sin of the world. He has ascended into heaven and he will return. Until that time, we live in a broken planet. We live with broken people. We live in a world where there are viruses. We live in a world where there are people who lie to us, where bad things happen, where things catch on fire, where people die, where life is hard. We also live in a world where we can praise the Lord in spite of all of that. And so... We're going to start this year on, in Psalm 95, which is a psalm that is uh, un... Uh, there's no name given to it. There's no inscription given to it. It's not a psalm of David or a psalm of Moses. People have ideas about who wrote it. I don't know who wrote it. Somebody wrote it, and the Spirit inspired them, and here it is in the Word of God. And so we're going to study it today and see what it has to uh, teach us, what the Lord has to teach us, rather, through His Word. So please join me as we pray before we study Psalm 95 together. Lord, I'm grateful that you are faithful, that you are constant, that you are righteous, that you are good, that you are perfect, that you are all of these things that we in our own self are not. I thank you that, as we just sang, that you are a a rock upon which we stand on Christ, the solid rock we stand, that we can know and we can rest in the immovable truth of your goodness, of your reality, of your presence with us. As we pray often here, we do not invite you here right now, Lord Jesus, you are here, uh, you, we could not invite or uninvite you here. You go where you please, and we come to you to worship the God who promises that he indwells us, a mystery which our brains can't even comprehend. But yeah, we trust is true. We come to you this morning and ask for your help as we need it to understand your word, to conform our heart to the truth of who you are, As we sit here and and just get ready to listen to the Word of God, I I want you to pray for yourself, as we say here all the time, that I want you to just pray that God would teach you something about himself. Pray that he would reveal any way that you are thinking or living in a way that's contrary to his desire and will for us. Pray that he would draw you to himself today. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people, so, so pray for someone around you. Pray for the, the person who you wave to but don't know their name, the person in front or behind your family member. If you know them or don't know them or like them or don't like them, pray for them today. Pray that God would teach them something new. That he would encourage them and draw them to himself. Lord, does he come to you to, to prepare our heart to listen to your word. Um, 
We humbly come before you and ask for your help. Confess that we need you and look forward to what you will do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 95 here is a poem, like all of these psalms are, and it has a structure, and so we're going to uh, break it down a little bit into the structure of it. And I'm going to just read through it briefly, and then we'll go back through it and, and walk through it like we normally do. And the structure, as far as I, at least as when I read it, is verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 through 5, and then 6 through 7, which is basically how it's broken up into paragraphs, because the people who translate these things, they know what they're doing. And so, and then of course, verse 8 through 11, in four different sections. The first section being, I'm going to label it Rejoice, the second one being Reset, the third one being Rest, and the fourth one being Remember. And so let's read through it and see what the Lord wants to teach us. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me. Though they had seen what I did, for forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared and on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Yay, happy hugs. So, um, psalmist always dealing with reality, and this psalmist is no, no different. So this, this first section here, to rejoice. Look at this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So, right, the English language, like every other language, has, has a structure. It's got verbs and, and subjects and objects. And just look at these first two verses. I want to look at the verbs. Come, let us sing for joy to who? To the Lord. Not just the Lord, but the capital L-O-R-D in your Bible. That's, that's Yahweh. It's the name of God. When Moses asked God, who's sending me to go uh, free the people from Pharaoh? God says, this is my name. I am that I am. And that is his name here, Yahweh. Come, let us sing to who? To Yahweh. Let us shout aloud. To shout. What does it be shouted in church? I think we should do more shouting uh, not at each other, but, but shouting uh, aloud. To who? To the rock. The rock of what? Of our salvation. That we shout to the God who is our rock. This steady, stable rock. And he is our salvation. He is the cause of our salvation. He is the means of our salvation. He is the sustainer of our salvation. Then it says, let us then come before him. Look at that verb. To come. Where? Before him. How? With thanksgiving. It's fascinating. It doesn't say come before him with complaints, come before him with petitions. Like I come before God with complaints and petitions all the time. But the psalmist here is exhorting us to come before the Lord, the rock, with thanksgiving. And then it says to and extol him. To extol means to, to praise enthusiastically. I want you to think it's really the same word, the same Hebrew word as let us shout aloud. Same word. Uh, let us extol him. With what? With music and song. So to extol is like, it's almost like to cheer. Like if you don't think about it, if you've been to a football game, when you're cheering, you are extolling the team. When you are at a baseball game or a sports event or anywhere where you're cheering for something, that is 
Is extolation a word? I don't know. But that would be emphatically or, or enthusiastically praising the Lord. We're supposed to be a people who rejoice that our, our song and how we behave in worship, in public, in private, is to be external. It's singing, it's shouting, it's entering his presence or coming before him, and it is enthusiastically praising him with music and song. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We're being commanded here, exhorted, to loudly and enthusiastically praise the Lord. And it's okay to do that. It's okay for you to give a a whoop or a hallelujah or whatever, an amen in church. That's all right. You can stick your hand up. So you got both hands, one hand, hand, whatever you want to do, I don't care. But the Lord wants us to engage our mind and our emotions in the worship of him. Isn't that fun? It's wonderful. So we are to rejoice. And so I want to ask the question, each one of these sections, I want to ask us a question. Because I just want to ask, do you rejoice? Do you do this? Do you enthusiastically praise the Lord? I realize that, that doing something difficult in a, in a hard year of 2020, you, you look back and you think, man, it was hard to kind of praise the Lord. And I felt the same way. Like when we came back in and we'd been outside and then we'd come back in here, I felt like there was this kind of wet blanket. And we had to like punch through it to rejoice in the Lord. And the wet blanket was like over my face as I'm singing. It was miserable. And I'm just thinking, well, at least we get to be in here together, right? When you've had sort of the the veneer rubbed off of what you thought things were going to be, and now you're in the reality of things, that's where we're at right here in January of 2021, right? You can think last year was going to be whatever, but it was hard for everybody. Nobody had a year last year that that was without difficulty. No one. No one. Everyone in here knows someone who has been affected in some way by the year that we had, by this pandemic, by the political climate, by, by the, the, uh, this, uh, our, our nation looking at the racial injustice that is so deeply prevalent in our society and wrestling with that difficult reality. So when we look at life as we live it here on planet Earth, do you rejoice? Do you rejoice? Because the Bible calls us to do it. So look at the next section here. And I think this is beautiful how it plays into you know, why we should rejoice. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Looking at, at his sovereignty as, the, as, as God and his sovereign reign as the King above all gods. This idea that there are all these, quote, gods that people make up, right? You see them in movies, you see them in mythology and all these things and Oh, this person's a god or a, or a goddess or this is a demigod or this or we make our own little idols to worship or whatever. God is God above all of those things and he is king above all gods, including all the people who think that they should be king, including all the people who think that we should be worshiping them. And then it says, In his hand are the depths of the earth, the mountains and peaks belong to him, the sea is his, and for he made it and his dry hands or his hands form the dry land. This wonderful contrast between uh, the, the depths of the earth, think like, like Death Valley where the Dead Sea is, or even the very bottom of the ocean to the very, very heights of the mountains. Guess whose they are? Those are the Lord's. And then all the things that are in the sea and all the things that are on the land, all this great contrast, that's the Lord's too. If it's here, it's God's. So we have to realize that God is the owner of all things. So the psalmist talks about his sovereignty, his reign, and his ownership of everything. And this works to, to reset us, 
when we rejoice in the Lord, we come to this and we realize that it is the Lord who is God. And the reason I need a reset is because I'm constantly trying to be my own little God. And I'm really a bad, bad, bad God. I'm grumpy and I'm inconsistent. I can't create anything out of nothing. Um, I have no power. I have none of my attributes are eternal or infinite. None of them. I mean, not even close. Like I need a nap every day, I feel like. And I, I don't even understand why I feel like I can sit on this throne of my life and tell God how he's supposed to do it. And yet I find myself doing that just about every day. But we have to come to God and recognize who he is. Because the truth is that the Lord is the great God. I do not care what some really smart person says that there is no God. Because the Bible calls that person a fool. And there are nothing new. It's not like Richard Dawkins is here today uh, writing a book called The God Delusion, calling, calling God a sexist uh, mass murderer. It's not like that's new. It's not like he's just a fancy, new, shiny thing. There have been people like that from the beginning. He's just the latest one. And there will be more people after him in the future. And they're all fools because they say that there is no God. Because the Lord is the great God and he is the king above all gods. That means the things that I want to idolize, that I want to raise up and try to worship, he is the king above all of those things too. And we are really good at worshiping all manner of things. Different cultures worship different things. We might look on a Stone Age culture and, or, or a, a, like a, a, an Iron Age culture who would, would craft little idols out of wood and stone and gold. And we would think, how dumb that they would make a little guy and set him there and like burn candles to him and pray to him thinking, thinking that's so dumb. And yet what do we worship? Athletes? We worship celebrities? Politicians? I mean, Really? We worship other people? Why would we do that? We worship ideologies. Some of us worship theologies. I'm in this group or I'm in that group and I worship the people who write the books that agree with what I think. Oh! Or maybe I worship, an idol in my life might be that I worship a comfort or I worship this thing or I worship my kids or I will worship my work. I will worship my identity that I get from that. I will worship my nation and anything that threatens that man, I will vociferously attack it. I will worship the past in nostalgia because it was always better before. Really? You need to read the Bible. The Bible has a chapter in it where somebody takes somebody's concubine, the last chapter of Judges, and they take that concubine and she is, she is um, abused by all these people. So he takes that person and he cuts her up into 12 pieces and mails a piece of her to all the 12 tribes of Israel. And you think that things are worse now than they've ever been? Nobody's mailing you a thumb, okay? And if they do, Lord have mercy on you and please call me because you're going to need some counseling. But we worship all manner of things. I, um, one of the ways that I know that I, I worship this false peace is because when it gets threatened, I get really mad. And I say false peace because I have this idea that everything in my home should be free of conflict, which is, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just not. Uh, just between Jenny and I, there's conflict because we're two humans. And then we have four children. We've got two cats now that don't get along. I mean, it's, there's conflict all over. There's, there are things that break in my house. That's not peaceful. There's things that, uh, it's just life. And I, I idolize a false peace. 
where I say that there can be no conflict here. And any time that there's conflict, if I find myself responding with anxiety or anger, it's because my little idol has been threatened. And so I have to come to the Word of God and remember that He is the Lord and He is the great God and that I'm only supposed to worship Him. And I have to reset my thinking. This next section here in verses 6 and 7 rolls right into how do we respond after we get reset. Look at this. Oh man, these are great, beautiful verses. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. That God calls us not only to rejoice and to reset, but to rest in Him. And look how He calls us to rest, to bow down in worship, to kneel before the Lord, our maker. So if you look at the idea of what do you do, you rejoice, you ask the question of what do you worship or what are your idols, and you look at this idea of worshiping God alone, how do we do that well? Well, we do it in humility. I mean, let me ask a question. Like, what was the last time that you got on your knees before the Lord, like physically? Like physically got down on your knees before the Lord in prayer, in worship, I, I don't know, in, in any shame, in any, in any shame, in any way, shape, or form. Not in shame, by the way, no shame. There's no condemnation for those who are under, in Christ Jesus. But have you ever kneeled before the Lord? I don't, you see movies where like someone, bad guy comes, and they make the people kneel before him or whatever, like kneel before Zod. Sorry, that's an old reference. But anyway, you get people who want you to kneel before him. Because they want you to, I don't know, they want you to show that I'm your boss. That's not what God wants you to do here. He doesn't want you to kneel so that he can say, ha ha, look, you kneel down, I'm better than you. He, like he knows he's better than you. He knows he's God. He knows, and how do we know this? Because he says, kneel before him because he is your maker and he is our God. So in a world that we live in that says that there is no God, that there is no maker at all, well, they're certainly not kneeling before him. And then it says that we are the people of his pasture and the flock or the sheep in his hand or in his care. You know that God is a shepherd. He shepherds people. He cares for people. The, the picture of God as a shepherd obviously goes clear into Jesus who calls himself the good shepherd. And he is the lamb of God, yet he shepherds because he became a lamb, he became like us, and yet he shepherds the great flock of God's people. And he cares for us. But that we are to worship God and God alone. So when we, when we look and say, well, what are the idols that are in my life? Well, if mine is this idea of false peace. I have to surrender that to the Lord. And I do that by getting on my darn knees before him and saying, Lord, I'm at the end of my tether. This is what I want. This is reality. I live in a world of conflict. So now I'm going to rest in you and I'm going to ask you to empower me to deal with what I don't want to deal with. I'm going to ask you to empower me to engage the conflict that will always be. I'm going to empower you to not trust in in. In just in, in, in my nation, that I'm not going to get so anxious when things are going poorly because you are still on the throne, that I'm not going to get so anxious because of an election result because you are still on the throne, that I'm not going to get anxious and angry when my comfort gets bumped because somebody needs something, and instead I'm going to kneel before you in worship. 
that when my spouse is short with me, that I'm not going to get angry at her. And instead, I'm going to come to the shepherd who shepherds my soul, and I'm going to ask for the help to love her well. That when my neighbor doesn't cut their grass right, or they don't pick up their limbs right, or their house is a mess, and I'm not going to get angry at them because they threaten what? You, my, the, the value of my house? Or I don't even know why we get so mad when people don't mow their grass. But we do. And we're constantly getting bumped. And whatever comes out, that's probably can, can show us what your idol is. So I want to take just, just a brief moment today. And, and I want to give you time, just like two minutes of quiet. And I want you to just think about what are the things that cause you anxiety? What are the things that cause you to be angry what are the things that reveal anger in you? What are the things that reveal worry? That when these things happen, you become anxious, you become angry, you become uh, defensive. Because whatever those things are, those are the things that are threatening to interfere with your worship of the one true God. So I'm just going to guide us in a quick moment of prayer, and then we're going to get back and finish this text here. But join me as we pray and ask the Lord for his help. Lord, I, I come to you today and I just ask ask you to help us. Help us to see with your eyes the things that are idols in our life, the things that we are trying to worship. It might be our, our financial security. It might be our own comfort, that we live in a nice place. We might worship our, our own children, that everything that we do would be angled toward them. We might worship our like I do, this false peace that we can't have conflict. We might worship cultural stability. Lord, reveal to us the things that we worship that are not you. Help us to cast those idols away and to come before you and to kneel before you and worship you alone. Thank you for this time in your word. Help us to finish studying this psalm well. Keep teaching us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this, the end of this passage here, after we're called to rejoice, to reset, and to rest in the Lord. Before we get there, I want to look at this. Um, there's this idea of God as a shepherd, right? And if you've been on the internet, you've known that there was this... Uh, sheep in 2004 named Shrek the sheep and he got lost in this cave and he got I mean pastors used him as an illustration for eons and so uh, not for eons because that's longer than whatever 14 years um, or 16 however many years it's been Shrek the sheep and he came and he got found by a shepherd and the shepherd sheared off this this incredible fleece weighed like 60 pounds and Shrek of course died because he was a sheep and then he got bested by this guy named Chris the sheep and and Chris if you put that picture up there Chris uh, was in New Zealand, and he was just out in the wild. And when they found Chris, he had a fleece that weighed like 89 pounds once they took it off, which weighed as much as the actual sheep once they got all done. And just look at this sheep on the left. I mean, that guy's in trouble. He is out in the wild. He's been bred as a merino a sheep for his wool that grows and grows, and it's this beautiful wool, but every year something has to happen to the sheep. It has to get sheared it has to. And this one was away from the shepherd. He was away from the shearer who could take away this burden. And when they finally got him, they took him and they, they had to uh, um, uh, put him under to do it because it was such a great task. 
And this idea that the sheep is now he's got, I think that's a bird floating over his head. I don't know what that is. Maybe a giant butterfly. I don't know. But that's how he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be able to run around and do the things the sheep do. He can't do that this way. He was going to die because he had not been near the shepherd. And they took him and they sheared off this massive amount of wool that had burdened this guy down. He, was, he could not escape from predators. He, he was getting stuff stuck on the backside. He couldn't get down to eat or drink. He was dying. And the one thing that saved him was coming before and being submitted to the work of the shearer and having the shepherd shear off all his junk. So when I look at resting, I want you and I to remember that we are like Chris the sheep. We are burdened. We are burdened by the things from this year. We're burdened by the things that will happen last year. We're burdened by the things that will happen this year. We are a people who carry burdens. And we must come to the shepherd that he can shear off our burdens. And if you're too weighed down, guess what? The shepherd comes to us. You don't have to do really well and walk up and say, Jesus, I need all your stuff. You can just sit here right now in the seat that you're in and all you've got to do is say, Lord, save me. Like Peter when he's sinking into the water. Say, Lord, save me. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you're here today, he loves you, he died for your sin, and he wants you to know him. And he wants to save you from your sin. And you must come to him, confess that he died, and believe that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins. Believe in him and be saved. If you know Jesus and you're walking with him today and you're burdened by all these burdens, you're like Chris the sheep with your giant fleece. Guess what? God is the shepherd of his pasture, and you are the flock under his care. So let him care for you. Go and kneel before him in worship and let him re- remove the burdens that we carry. Rejoice, reset, rest, and finally to remember. We'll end with this briefly. This is the not so much fun part of the psalm, but it's important. And if you remember from Exodus 17, the people of Israel have come out and they have come out from slavery in, the, in Egypt and they've been fed manna and quail. And then in, in Acts chapter 17, um, things kind of start to come off the rails a bit as they, they tend to do with people. And they come to this place and they say, give us water to drink. This is in 17 uh, verse 2. And Moses says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty because they're in the desert for water. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Because that's what the Lord did, right? He's like, oh, I'm going to rescue you out of Egypt, and then I'm going to starve you in the desert. So Moses cries out to the Lord, and he says, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're about to stone me. The Lord answers Moses and says, walk on ahead of them. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, look what they said, is the Lord among us or not? They had a need. That need was not being met, I assume briefly, because they had not all died of thirst. And their first thing is, is God here or not anyway? Where is he? 
He was in Egypt, blah, 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 Red Sea, yeah, blah, all these things, 10 plagues, 10 miracles, brings us out. We're covered in gems and gold and treasure. We come out peacefully, protects us from the greatest army at that time in the history of the world. We're a bunch of slaves walking out, wealthy as all get out. Where's my water? Lord, I'm thirsty. Are you even here? And so the Lord responds and says, don't, don't do that. He calls us to remember. Remember the past. Remember who he is. And look at this in verse 9. It says, where your father is tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. He's not calling. He's not, they weren't a bunch of people who had never experienced anything about God standing there in the desert, just miraculously out there out of nowhere going, where are you, God? Where? No, he already brought them out of slavery, and he had already given them manna, and they complained, and then he gave them quail, and then they complained because they were thirsty, probably because they ate too much quail. And then he says, for 40 years I was angry with that generation. There are people whose hearts go astray. They will never enter my rest. So that generation was disciplined for their disobedience. And it's a hard lesson for us to learn looking back, right? You can, you can always, there's two kinds of people. Uh, this is a joke that I've always loved. It's not really funny, though. You can be the person who makes the mistakes that everybody learns from, or you can be the person who learns from other people's mistakes. And I say, way easier to be the guy that learns, okay? Way easier. We're all going to make mistakes, and everybody can learn from our mistakes, but it really helps to look back at the mistakes of other people, and say, I don't want to do that. And so this idea of remembering what God has done, even though they'd seen what he did, they forgot that he was faithful, and then instead of coming out to him and crying out to him and saying, Lord, where are you? Help us. That was not their heart, right? Instead of coming to him and, and asking and, and begging him for help, they came to him and then they questioned his character. And we don't get to do that. We don't get to ask God and say, you're not really God. You're not really good. I question your character. I question that you're good and that you're kind and that you're loving and that you're even here. I don't even think that you're here. I question everything about you. We don't have that right because he is the Lord, the great God and the king above all gods. He is our maker and he is our God. We do not have the right to question his character, but we do have the freedom to cry out to him in our need. It's okay to doubt. The Bible is literally full of doubters. Every single one in there except for Jesus. They all doubted. And even Jesus struggled with the reality of his coming uh, death on the cross. It's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to say, God, I'm hurting. I don't feel you. Where are you? It's okay to say, God, I'm thirsty in the desert. Give me something to drink. But it's not okay to look to the Lord and then question who he already says he is. And also, it's not super helpful to ask God questions and then get mad at him when he's already answered the question. It does no good to say, God, do you really love me? He's already said he loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. God, do you care? You are the flock under his care. God, are you there? I will, never leave your, I will never leave you or forsake you. God, will you help me? I am your helper, your rock. The Bible's already answered most of our questions. And usually we either fail to read them or we forget it once we've read it, which is why we have to keep coming back to it in order that we can get 
we can rejoice, reset, we can rest, and then we can remember who God is so that we can be the people that he wants us to be. So as we go into this year, um, I'll be honest, I'll say it again, I have no idea what's going to happen. There's already some weird volcano going off in the Caribbean. So it could just be like reload 2020. I have no idea. And anybody that says this year is going to be better than last year, man, don't listen to them. They're selling you something. Don't listen. I have, it could be. I don't know. Is any year really better than another? I guess it depends on who's asking. And it depends on who you are. But I know for sure that whatever happens in this year, that we can come and sing for joy to the Lord as a church. We can come and shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. We can come before him with thanksgiving. We can extol him with music and song. We can bow down in worship. We can kneel before the Lord, our maker. And we can rejoice in him. We can allow him to reset us. We can rest as we kneel before him. And we can remember who he is. We can look to the word and see the failure of others and not repeat those. And we can honestly and truly walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are constant, that you are a rock, that we can come to you and we can proclaim even through all the doubts and all the questions that you are our God, that you are my maker, that you are my shepherd and that you care for me. I thank you for the, the solidity of who you are, for that the You are immovable. You are unchangeable. You are constant. And so we come to you in a world, in a life, on a planet that is constantly in flux, going from good to bad in a moment's notice. And we come to you to rest upon the goodness of your character, to rest in the reality of your presence. Help us to see the idols in our life, Lord Jesus. Help us to see what competes for worshiping you. Help us to throw those things down and to kneel before the Lord our God. And help us to walk in the newness of life that you have won for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.